Then God goes back. Now that he's made it very clear that this is how they're organized, this is their jobs, and all by the way, you lost the right to do these jobs, so pay your redemption price. Then he goes back and he tells them this. Now when you march, this is how you're supposed to march. He's told them how to march, but how do we carry the vessels? So they're to wrap the vessels in different cloths. And there are different degrees of holiness. So the Ark of the Covenant is the most holy thing. And the way that they're wrapped this is they're to take a, um, they're wrapped it in the veil. So they take the veil that divides the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle and they wrap it around the Ark of the Covenant. After they wrap that around the Ark of the Covenant, they take goat skin and wrap that around the Ark of the Covenant. And then they're to take um, blue cloth and wrap it around the Ark of the Covenant. Now remember, the goat skin represents sin sacrifice. Okay, so the Ark of the Covenant is able to move into the camp and march with them because it's covered by the sacrifice of an animal. But then the blue represents the spiritual realm. So when they look at it, they're reminded that this is still something amazing. See, goat skin doesn't speak wow and beauty. It speaks sacrifice. So by wrapping the goat skin then in the blue cloth, that speaks wow and beauty. More so for them than us, because remember, everybody's clothing is dark browns and, and blacks and grays and a really deep dark red, and they're in the wilderness. So a powerful blue would really stand out as beautiful in contrast. Then the next article is in the holy place. So that would be the lampstand, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. They are to be wrapped in a blue cloth, then the goat skin. So when you look at that, you're seeing the goat skins. Then the vessels outside in the courtyard they are to be wrapped in a purple cloth and a goat skin. Which means this. When you're marching through the camp and the Levites are carrying all the articles of the tabernacle, they see goat skin, goat skin, goat skin, goat skin, goat skin. And there's only one thing that has blue cloth on it. What is it? The Ark of the Covenant. So even though they're not allowed to look upon the Ark of the Covenant, does everybody know where it is? Yes. And so God intentionally had it done this way so the Ark of the Covenant still stands out to them. And they'll be reminded that all these things were about them attaining holiness and cleanliness, but there's only one thing that truly represents the spiritual realm, and that's the Ark of the Covenant. And so this is how they're to function. That when they're set up here, the tabernacle and the Shekinah glory is the focus, the throne of God. And when they're marching and everything is brown, grays, and blacks, and deep reds, there's one thing that stands out, and that's the blue cloth over the Ark of the Covenant. And God is communicating that I am always the focal point. I am always at the center. And most importantly, I am your military divine king. And everything in your life is about protecting the holiness of your camp so that you can dwell with me, so that we can go out and make the rest of the world holy. And so this holy camp that's doing sacrifices, that's atoning for sins, 
that has enthroned Yahweh as their king in the center of their lives, that everything about the Levites is maintaining the holiness, the sacredness of that space so that God can dwell with them, so that they can then have God in their lives and they're going to march into the promised land and they're going to eradicate sin. And they're going to make the land righteous. And they're going to purify the land. Because they're going to take this teeny little garden that's 45 feet by 75 feet big and they're going to expand it into the entire land of Canaan. Because they are his servants and he is their king who redeemed them. And that's what he's saying. I am your king that redeemed you. Now you are to be my servants that I will use to redeem the rest of the world. Now, this is what you must understand. So in the garden, God comes in and he subdues the chaos. He orders creation. He makes everything good. And then he puts them in a garden and he says, rule and subdue it. Meaning make sure that everything in the garden stays good. Don't let anything threaten the goodness of that garden. And he tells them, to keep and to till it. Now those words are the root words of worship. All throughout the Bible, they're the root words of worship. Nowhere in the Bible does God call praising God worship. Worship is keeping the garden righteous. Your act of service. The praise that we do, that is a part of worship, but praise can only happen after you worship. It's a, an extension of worship. First you worship God, by making everything righteous and maintaining righteousness and expanding righteousness. And then when you see God at work in that and you're joining God and God is joining you and amazing things are happening, then you can extend that worship into praising him because now you have something to praise him for. You've seen him at work. So praise cannot happen without worship, active worship. And so what God says is to keep until the garden. Worship me. And how do you worship God? By physically, actively making sure the garden stays righteous. And then there to be fruitful, multiply, and expand that garden to make it bigger and bigger and bigger. But Adam and Eve said, we're not going to rule and subdue it. In fact, when evil came into the garden, we're going to join it. They were supposed to kill the serpent, so to speak. They were supposed to eradicate it and drive it out. Therefore, the opportunity to make the entire world a garden became desolate. And now we live in a world of fallenness and brokenness. So God comes along and he chooses a family and he grows them up and he gives them a brand new garden. And this garden is small. And in order for them to enter the garden, they have to go through the Day of Atonement in the book of Leviticus and get themselves cleansed. And they're able to enter back in the garden, but not totally because only the Levites and only on certain days because there's still this sin that's separating them but they still have more access to the garden than they ever did before. And the garden is not as beautiful, it's not as big, and they don't have as direct access, but this is way more than anybody else ever had. And so now he commands them, you support the Levites and you fund them so that they can maintain the holiness, so they can rule and subdue the garden. And anything that tries to enter the tabernacle, they're called to exterminate it so that that garden won't be lost again. Then, once that's all pure and holy and sanctified and you're atoning for your sins through the sacrificial system, then I can dwell with you and I can walk in the cool of the garden, so to speak. 
Then we will march 11 days to the promised land and we will begin to expand the garden. We will move beyond this and we will begin to rule and subdue everything in the land of Canaan and all evil will be eradicated unless they repent and join the garden like Rahab in the book of Joshua and Ruth in the book of Ruth and Tamar back in Genesis and we will make the garden bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. That's the same thing he's called you to today. You are now priests because Peter comes along and says, we're all priests now. The difference is Christ atoned for all of our sins. So whatever family we came from and whatever sin they've committed, we're no longer disqualified from access to the tabernacle because Christ paid for all of it. That means we all have direct access to the tabernacle, which means that's why all of us get the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory of God living in us. And now you've been called to get yourself sanctified, to make sure that you're staying righteous and pure and holy, that you're not being conformed to the world, but you're being transformed by renewing your mind. So you can present your bodies as a living sacrifice so that you can then go out and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we are now called to get right with God become sanctified, become righteous, grow, and then we're called to go into your hospitals, into Nationwide, into Chase Bank, into your building company, into your neighborhood, in your home, wherever, and you're called to expand the garden. And you're called to exterminate evil. The difference is the evil is now spiritual rather than physical. And we're called to rule and subdue and expand the garden and begin to make everything look like God. And that's what God has set up here. Does that make sense? This is the imagery. And this is why all that language that Paul is using, it's all coming from these books. And they would have known exactly what he's talked about because the law was everything. And this is so important for you to understand because as they begin to move towards the promised land, they're not going to do that. And that's what the book of the rest of the numbers is about. Because what's going to happen is that in chapter 26, somebody is going to enter into the tabernacle and defile it. In chapter 14, they're not going to expand outside the tabernacle and enter the promised land. And so what you're going to see is an Israel that's going to begin to fail to maintain the holiness here, and they're going to fail to expand out. And that's the big point of it, is that they're failing, failing, failing. But did they clearly know what was expected of them? Yes. Have they failed before and known what the punishment is? Yes. Have they succeeded before and known what the blessings are? Yes. And so this is what God is calling you. If you do not maintain the kingship and the holiness of God, not that he needs you to maintain that in the world. I mean that you do not maintain it in your space and in your life. Because they were not called to maintain the righteousness and the kingship of God in the world and the universe. They can't do that. They're not God. They're called to maintain their space so that God could enter into it. And that's what you're called to. That's what the book of Numbers is all about. And what it's going to show is what do you lose when you fail to maintain the kingship and the cleanliness of the sacred space that God has given you? And you and I have two sacred spaces, our lives and the environment that we live in. And the question is, are you going to be a Levite and maintain that sacred space of your life 
and maintain that sacred space of that environment that you live in? Will you be able to completely purify your environment and workplace and home and neighborhood in your life? No. But remember each Jew, the day began with evening and it ended in the morning, which means every day ended with light. And the question that you're going to ask yourself is, like God, who started with darkness and then brought light, there was evening and morning, and he ordered the day. It was disordered and then it's ordered at the end of the day. When you walk into your world that you live in, do you bring more light and more order at the end of the day than it was before? Do you walk away and say, yeah, it's still broken. Yeah, there's still problems. But at the end of the day, I pursued bringing order to my world and bringing light to my world, just like God does, because I am made in his image. And my life is supposed to tell the truth about him. And even though we don't have tents and military, the theology that he's communicating here is the same theology that can be applied everywhere. Our world and function might be a little bit different, but the theological principles that God is making in this book are exactly the same. Does that make sense? And remember, from Exodus and Leviticus, God takes your holiness seriously. They've learned the lesson of how important holiness is. The question is, are they going to live it out now? And so, that's the first four chapters. When we go into chapter 5, and 6 and 7, 8 and 9, he's going to give a few more laws, a few more instructions of how they're supposed to live. And then chapter 11, they're going to start marching out. They're going to start heading for the promised land to execute the holiness of God. As I'm put into practice. <laughs> Any questions? Um, I'm just wondering, uh, in the way everything is ordered up there and with the census and, uh, and with their job, as far as um, being warriors, is, is it the whole nation living around it or is it just is it just the soldiers and the whole nation all the tents everything everybody's every family's got its own tent and it's there and the next one next one next one that's the other reason if you go back to the exodus why the numbers that word number should be probably translated a little bit different um but that's important now eventually when they get into the promised land they're going to grow more and more and more and more and they're not going to camp like this anymore because this is their mil- so the idea this is their military structure. Once they go in the promised land, and the in- idea was that they were going to be obedient to God, and they were going to conquer the promised land, then they would not need to be a military nation anymore. Now they're going to be a ma- nation that would maintain the land. So at that point, then they were going to go to all their tribal allotments. So that's going to be the book of Joshua. And then what was going to happen is the tabernacle would then move around to all the Tural tribes. And so the tabernacle would spend a few months in this tribe and a few months in that tribe, and God would begin to move through them and kind of rotate through so that, so even though they geographically could not literally all fit around the tabernacle anymore because they're called to fill the land, but the tabernacle is still only like this 45 foot by 15 foot tent, the idea is the tabernacle then would move around them and dwell among them. But that won't function that way forever either because then David will have this horrible idea of building a temple. 
And I know it sounds really weird that I said that, but that's what God says. And he was never meant to build a temple. And God kind of wasn't happy when Solomon did it, but that's a whole other book. Because that's the whole point. God's like, did I ever ask for a house? I don't want to be in one place. I want to be among all the people. Any other questions? Chapter 5, verse 1. So then Yahweh spoke to Moses, commanded the Israelites to expel from the camp every leper, everyone who has a discharge, and whoever becomes defiled by a corpse. You must expel both men and women. You must put them outside the camp so that they will not defile their camps among which I live. So the Israelites did so, and they expelled them outside the camp as Yahweh had spoken to Moses, so the Israelites did. So the first thing God does is expel the unclean. Remember the the tabernacle and the camp is supposed to be clean. You have to go back to Leviticus. I'm not going to go into clean, unclean, that kind of stuff. Just go back to Leviticus and that. And you can go back to discharges and all that kind of stuff. But no. um, what makes you unclean, remember, is anyone who sins, anyone who has a skin disease, anyone who touches a corpse. So those make you unclean. The only thing that makes you clean is animal sacrifices and washings. And so we talked about Leviticus, that whole ordeal of becoming unclean and becoming clean and that kind of stuff. And the point is that God is not excluding them. This is not kicking them out of your church or kicking them out of your house. This is that they just have to live on the outside of the camp. Because the idea is that the camp is righteous. And the camp is what being normal is. And these things make you abnormal. And not in a weird, making fun of you, cliquish kind of a way. um, But abnormal in that you're not good. Because remember, the word good means functioning the way it's supposed to. And so the tabernacle is supposed to be about the garden. And the garden was good. Everything functioned like it was supposed to in the garden. And by having a discharge, that's a result of something that's not right with your body. Having a skin disease is something that's not right with your body. Sin is something that's not right with your life. And touching a dead body, well, death is something that's not right with your body. So these things are all not good. And so they're not allowed to be in the camp because God is trying to portray the idea that only those who are good, meaning they're functioning the way they're supposed to, spiritually and physically, can be in his presence. And then that's just the disadvantages. That image is powerful and that image is necessary. And so those who become clean again, they're allowed to come back in. And so once again, don't think of this as God kicking you out because you're a bad person because you have a skin disease. Think of this more of like, if you got a skin disease today that was contagious, what would everybody do? They would zip you up in a plastic room, okay, because you're contagious. And nobody, you would be in the wrong mind to think, this is unloving, you all hate me, you rejected me. That has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with protecting the goodness of the community that you might bring death into. And so think of it that way, except the difference is God is also thinking on the spiritual level because God is he's interested in the holisticness of creation. And so this isn't a kicking you out kind of a sense. This isn't you're bad because you have this. This isn't God punishing you because you have this. This is for the sake of maintaining the goodness of the community, period. And that's it. Now a lot of your Bibles say lepers, But remember, leprosy doesn't exist until 
right before Christ comes along, that time period. Not that it has anything to do with Christ coming, but just that time period. So it doesn't exist until after the First Testament. And, but let me rephrase that. It does exist in the world before the First Testament. It just doesn't exist in this region of the world until the First Testament. So the leprosy you learn about in like the movie Ben-Hur and, and the Gospels and that kind of stuff, it probably is leprosy. But in the First Testament, it's more um, just skin diseases, which we talked about that in the book of Leviticus for a more detailed word study on that. Go back to that. All these people removed. And so now that the tabernacle is built, now the Shekinah glory of God is in the tabernacle, and now that everybody's organized the way that they are, then everything that does not fit that goodness must be cast out until they become good again. So now the tabernacle in the camp is truly, fully clean. The question is, will they keep functioning in that way? 